Welcome to Amen Practice, where we talk about life as a practitioner, wellness in general, and what it means to practice. I'm, of course, your host, Jess Reynolds, and today we're delving into a topic that's often overlooked but incredibly vital in the wellness industry, and that's the impact of space and design in health practices. So how does the environment we create influence both practitioner well-being and the patient experience? Well, to explore this fascinating intersection of healthcare and design, today I'm joined by Nina and Meg, the dynamic duo behind Articulate, a firm that is redefining healthcare spaces with innovative and thoughtful design solutions. And together, they're going to share their insights on how the aesthetics and functionality of a wellness space can enhance the therapeutic experience, what I, which I absolutely have to agree with. We'll dive into their journey from clinicians to designers and the philosophy behind their unique approach. And as well, we're going to go through some practical tips for practitioners looking to transform their workspaces. So from reimagining the traditional clinic layout to incorporating elements that soothe and inspire. This episode is full of eye-opening ideas that can be used in anybody's practice, no matter if you're working from your home or somebody else's clinic. So let's now jump into the conversation, which covers a lot of ground with Meg and Nina. All right, so before we jump into today's episode, let's give a shout out to our sponsor, Jane, a clinic management software and EMR. Whether you're just starting to do your research or you've been contemplating switching your software for a while now, the Jane team understands that the process, well, it can feel intimidating. That's why their goal is to provide you with all of the onboarding resources you need to make the switch as smooth as possible. Jane offers a personalized call to set up your account, a free date import, and a wide variety of online resources to get you up and running quickly. And if you need a helping hand along the way, you'll have unlimited phone, email, and chat support, which is all included with your Jane subscription. Now, I got to tell you, I've switched EMR softwares four times now. We won't get into why, but I've done it. And it really can be a nightmare. But when I made the switch to Jane, I can tell you from firsthand experience, it really was the easiest transition imaginable. And I finally feel like I have a system that does all the things I need and it's all in one place. So if you're interested in learning more, book a one-on-one -on -one demo at jane.app slash switch. And if you decide to switch, don't forget to use the code AIM1MO. That's A-I-M, the number one, M-O at the time of sign up to receive a one month grace period on your new Jane account. Well, hello, Meg and Nina. I'm very grateful to be chatting with you both. Uh, we, we had the opportunity to meet in person for the first time almost close to a month ago now when we were uh, co-facilitating an amazing workshop for Kendall. And uh, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, so without me doing the introduction to you two, I would love it if we could just start by both of you introducing yourselves and just a little bit about your backstory, what you got, what got you to where you are today. And if you don't mind, we'll start uh, with you, Nina. Well, thank you so much for having us. I am a physiotherapist by uh, background, um, but also in addition to that, um, I've always had a keen passion for creativity, design, whether that is interior design, um, fine arts, fashion, all of those things. And um, our business was born out of uh, Meg and I were both practicing physios. Um, we started to really notice this unfortunate trend in the health space that while we have amazing practitioners offering amazing services that are so important to people um, and their wellness journeys, the clinics or wellness spaces that were housing these people were really flat. They lacked personality and they really weren't doing anything to amplify the amazing talent and care that the practitioners um, gave to their clients. And so uh, Articulate was really born out of this mutual passion for our practices as allied healthcare providers and our simultaneous passion for design. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just decided that um, the next time anybody asked us for design 
advice, which happened often in our individual lives. Uh, we just decided the next time that anybody in our healthcare world, if they were to approach us, we were just going to throw our hat in the ring and, and start offering this as, as a service. And that's where it came from. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then I, there's a few points out there that I want to I want to dig into. But before we we dive into that, I'd I'd love to hear Meg your story. What uh, what what led you to to this stage in your career? Yeah, I mean it's very similar to what Nina said. Although I think she puts it a lot more eloquently and delicately. I would go as far to say as healthcare places and spaces are are really just quite uninspiring. And I uh, have my own practice, which I um, built, and it was this very intentional design put into it. And what I noticed anecdotally is people would come to my space and them being in my space was as much of the treatment as what I was providing. It really enhanced my offering by having a spot that felt comfortable, that felt well designed, that really just settled everyone's nervous system. It really did the work for me. Mm -hmm. And I thought we're really missing a big opportunity in this industry to not take advantage of a really well designed space to match, as Nina said, the type of, of experience that we're trying to give to our clients, our patients. And why? Why is that? Why why is the status quo for clinics, for wellness centers um, to just exist as they always have? And as Nina said, we put our hat in the ring and we haven't looked back. It's clearly a, a big need, increasingly so. The market is demanding it. The clinicians are demanding it. And we've been just growing exponentially since. It's it's I'm I'm so excited about this conversation. Just just hearing both of your story and and the underlying reason why I I agree completely, one hundred percent agree. I mean, Meg, one of the things you said is like like people walk in the door and it automatically sort of gets their nervous system in in the place, you know, like it starts the treatment for you. And and then uh, Nina, when you were saying like amplifying the experience, like I completely agree that. That if if we consider the fact that most people have a very negative perception of the doctor's office, you know, like the, the whole image, they walk into the doctor's office and simply walking in the door, there's that feeling of like, yeah, I don't want to be here. Why yeah. is it that our wellness practices are all set up in the same way? It's like we got stuck in some sort of brutalist architecture world and we just decided... You know, the whole world of design can move forward, except for wellness spaces. Those need to stay straight rows, clinical, stark white walls. You know, like I, I completely agree that it it, uh, it it matters so much. And increasingly, I'm, I'm finding that it matters really, really high up on the list of things we as practitioners can do for our clients is actually designing our space, like very high up on the list. I wouldn't maybe even tie it for like somewhere in the top three, but... Nevertheless, so as you go through this process, I'm curious now, you've, you've likely seen a lot of different clinic spaces. Um, if we were to start with like, start easy, you know, like somebody's got, we'll go two different routes. We'll go like somebody's, somebody's got a room they're renting at somebody else's clinic. They've got minimal control over it, but a little bit. And then maybe somebody else who's got a home-based practice, right? Let's go in these two different directions and maybe walk through how either one of you would uh, approach that. Um, now, Meg, I know, I know you've, you practice from your home. Is that correct still? Um, yeah, I practice about yeah. 10 feet from my home. I have a studio oh, on nice. the property, but not in my house, which is, cool. uh, has been an evolution. So yes, I am, I am in that <laughs> realm. Um, to answer your question about where to start, I will say that in our experience and now working with dozens and dozens of different operators and and practitioners in all types of settings there's a consistency in what people how people should approach design and it's really coming at it from what is the problem you're trying to solve for and thinking beyond just oh i want to have a nice space a nice looking space we really push people to say what is the experience me 
as a clinician I'm looking for? And what is the experience I want to offer to my clients? And where are the gaps in what I'm looking to provide and what I'm able to do? So we encourage people not simply to come to us or even to do it themselves with the idea of like, I'll just throw a few nice pictures in this room and a few, you know, nice pieces of decor. It's thinking beyond that. And and that's how we approach our services. It's solving for a problem in the industry, which is the client and the clinician experience. And how do we enhance those? And that is a much deeper approach to it than just a nice looking space. And that's felt viscerally when people walk into it. The difference between a well-designed space from both function, from form, from how the branding is pulled in, to what is the lighting, to what is the whole ethos you're trying to create is a much different um, way to approach it than how do I make it look nice, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It makes complete sense. And I mean, that, that particularly strikes a chord within me because as, as you know, a big, big part of my, my thing is, is inner work, you know, the stuff we do within ourselves in order to help our clients more effectively. And, and I appreciate how you started. Like, it sounds like your process is asking questions that, that requires people to go in. Like, what do, you, what do you actually want? Not what do you want it to look like, but what do you, what do you want from this space, period? What do you, what do you, what's happening? What feelings, what emotions, right? So I really do appreciate that you kind of start the, the inside out model as opposed to the space is, you know, 200 square feet and we can put a picture here and we could do that. You know, that's secondary to the, the inner, inner sort of stuff. That's awesome. And uh, Nina, what, what would you say about that? Like when, when you're working at these different types of spaces, where do you start? I think, um, I mean, I agree with everything Meg is saying, and I would add that really there's not that much difference between a single room and a much more comprehensive space in terms of where you start from. It's mm. your, it's your, it's your personality. It's the soul of your business and your branding. So it's really important to have a really solid grasp of what your brand is and what you're trying to express. And then your physical space is really just the translation of that in space. And what we've seen to traditionally is like, oh, okay, I'm going to take my logo and I'm going to put it on my wall. And we think that that is just like a bit of um, a cop out, like an easy solution. (laughs) It really doesn't tell people much more than they would see on your website banner. So I think it's really important for people to come up with, and they should, you know, everyone should when we're doing these. Um, when you're conceiving your brand is like, what are key words? What are your, what is your target population? And from that, you can start to pick out the personality of your brand. And that's what you really want to inject in your space, whether it's a single room or it's a multidisciplinary, mm-hmm. you know, multi thousand feet square foot space. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it's really making the process conscious, which, which of course, you know, anytime you, you choose to design a place, it, it would be, but I think for, for many people and certainly past Jess is very guilty of this. It is like, I need the space to be functional. So I'm going to make sure like top priority, that's the only thing I care about. Um, but, um, working from my, my house, particularly with Brianne, because she's, uh, she's got a, a particular attention to detail you know, like step number one was we created a house when we moved into this place that really made us feel like we could walk in the door and be like, oh, we're home. Mm-hmm. And then we started a clinic out of it. And it turns out that exact same feeling moves into everybody else. But it's it's so much other things. For example, Brand does a lot of uh, somatic work, working with, you know, like somatic experiencing. So every little detail of the treatment room matters. And in one day she's like, I cannot stand your sharps container. Like, why do you always move it? I have it tucked in the corner and you put it on the counter. I'm like, well, cause I need it there. Like, that's, that's what I needed. She's like, it's going to live in the corner. Really being mindful of the fact that, that every little detail matters for the overall experience. Right. And when, when, when I, I say that, I see it kind of both nodding. So i uh, it sounds like I'm not the only one who's like practicality top of the list. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's um, like, make, who wants, yeah. I was just so, going to say, who wants yeah. to see a biohazard sign <laughs> like exactly. next to their treatment table after they're zened out from acupuncture, yeah. right? But I'll let, totally. I'll let Meg add to that. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> no, I'd say, I think with 
what happens as practitioners is we get so used to our own like the tools of our trade our own environment the functionality and we forget about the novel experience for that one person coming into us and mm. they're likely coming in in pain they're likely coming in maybe nervous for this new treatment and so when you start to then look around your space through a new lens it really changes the way you see things and it's not always the top priority is hyper functionality it's how do we marry these two how do we hmm. keep the sharps container within reach but maybe it sits within a basket so people aren't seeing a big biohazard sharps container if they're nervous about acupuncture right mm -hmm. um it, it's just framing it in a very different way and when we start our process with clients we do an in-depth intake questionnaire and we model it very similar to how any of us as practitioners would do an intake questionnaire for our patients mm. and you know as well as as any just that when you ask a lot of questions and the right questions the answers come forth and really mm. we're quite proud of of what we put out there in that sense of we ask a lot of questions and the aesthetic portion of that questionnaire is probably the smallest it's yeah. tell us about you tell us about your brand tell us about the client journey you're looking for tell us about the clinician journey you're looking for tell us about your growth aspirations tell us about what type of music you like to listen to like just to name a few things and it starts to get people thinking as we've mentioned earlier a lot more broadly about the space hmm. I appreciate that. And funnily enough, I'm actually teaching this afternoon a workshop on asking the right questions, like how important the inquiry part of, of any intake is. And as I was re reviewing my, my material this morning, preparing for it, one of the things that was coming to me is like, okay, so somebody comes in and you've got like 30 seconds. For whatever reason, you're in a rush, you have no time. What are the questions you are going to ask that have like the, the biggest outsized effect when it comes to the overall treatment? And as, as I was hearing you explain that, I was curious, is, is there one of those questions, right? Do, do you have a question on the questionnaire? It's like, if you could ask one, maybe two questions that would really steer the direction of how you would start to formulate a design plan, would there be? And if you don't mind, Nina, would you, would you mind uh, jumping into that one? Um, we have, I feel like we have a couple of questions that are if we had 30 seconds, I think one of the things is just understanding people's goals and that's so similar to like a clinical practice. It's like, what are the top three things that you need to achieve through your design for you to feel like it got knocked out of the park, right? Mm. And that can, that can be different for different people, whether it's like, oh, well, I'm going to retain all of my clinicians. Like, I'm not going to lose a clinician in the next year or everything is super organized or I really feel like um, I'm getting a lot more Instagram traction because of my physical space. It's beautiful. It gets posted. So like, I think that really just understanding like the top three goals for our clients. Um, I think that helps guide us a lot in terms of like where we need to really focus our services. And Meg, I'm going to ask you the same question, but I actually have a follow-up one for you, Nina, which I which I found interesting. Which was the first thing you said is number one goal is is clinician retention. How does interior design help with that particular goal? If if it does, I'm curious. Well, you know what's really interesting? We've had a lot of owners come to us, and that is really they're designing for clinicians. They're they want a clinician centered focus. Um, because they tend to lose clinicians. And I think we've all worked in places where, you know, the thought came up, if I owned this place, I would do A to Z differently, right? Mm -hmm. And that can be function and flow for sure, right? Just, and you know, are the treatment tables open concept only? Are they crammed next to each other? But it can also just be like, is the staff room really nice and cozy? Do I want to spend you know, the next two hours after my shift charting in this space, because I love to be there and I feel good and I'm doing a great job and my productivity is high, or do I want to get the heck out of there because it's, you know, in a, a basement with no windows, with no art, with no personality, right? Mm. So 
Um, that's really what we're getting to. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we ask our, our clients, like, what is your ideal clinician journey through the space? It's not just all about bringing in clients. It's about really creating a community with, with your brand. And mm. that's how you're going to keep the best practitioner. Okay. That makes, that makes complete sense. It makes sense. As you were saying, and I was reflecting on I actually quit a a job that was it was a, a great job, really awesome clients, but I quit because the space was just so frustrating to work in, and that was like the reason I quit. So that makes complete sense. Right. So, Meg, I'm mm -hmm. curious if if you had like like the question that you would find takes you furthest along the the path to helping somebody with their their interior design journey, if, if you if you had to. I mean, I'm inclined to just agree with Nina. We think very similarly. And I think at the root of what she asked is that ultimately we're trying to solve a bigger problem than just making a space look nice. And we mm -hmm. want people to think of it as we are solving for whatever problem they have that they can't solve on their own. So whether it's, I can't retain clinicians, I am not getting the demographic in my space that I'm really looking to serve. I, you know, I don't have alignment between my digital brand and my space, whatever their problem is, that's where design can really fill that need. Mm -hmm. Personally, I love the questions that really get to the personality of the clinician, like what music do you play in your space? What, um, like, what are their hobbies in their free time? And I think clinicians are so afraid to bring their personal life into their work, but ultimately mm. in a field where we connect with people, like that is our currency, that is our gift. When you bring your personality into a space, it is instant, instant connection. And, and people really shouldn't be afraid of that. So we get a lot of our design inspiration, just understanding the person or the people in the space um, to, to give us a sense of the vibe that they want to be mm -hmm. creating. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And, you know, I, I, I keep going back to the, the how fortunate it is that I, I believe it's fortunate that my workspace is within my house because I don't have an option. Like, like primarily this is a living space. So having our personality and it, it just, that's what happens. And the number of people mm -hmm. who walk in and they're like, wow, you know, like I'm really happy yesterday, we just, not yesterday, a couple of days ago, somebody walked in and they just, you know, like, oh, even the, the smell of your house immediately makes me relax, you know? So just like, so that, that's very fortunate. And largely mm -hmm. because we moved into this house, you know, four years ago, three years ago, somewhere in there. And we were very intentional with our design. But I think not a lot of people get that opportunity with their home. You know, they, they moved in 15, 20 years ago and their house is what it is. You know, they've mm -hmm. had kids, they've had this, they've had that. And maybe they don't have the budget or the time to turn their home into a reflection of their their ideal personality. You know, like we, mm -hmm. we could certainly talk about how one's home is a reflection of some aspect of them, chaotic, not right. But nevertheless, what I'm getting at is it's a pretty cool opportunity for a clinic owner because this is a really great space to reflect on personality and allow that to come out and have fun with that, right? So I'm wondering how how often do you find people once you start this design process that it it goes from them being like okay I know I need to I need to just do this because you know I've been I've been following the Instagrams and I know what I need to do and then as you move through this process do you find you know that people get like more engaged and more excited with it as they get to bring their personality in I think um, in general we actually are trying to find the clients who are already coming in with this mentality of like design is not a frill it's something that mm. i understand i need to have um because really you know when you start designing some of the things we're looking at are floor plans things that start you know are crucial to your income generation um but then as we talked about like brand translation and all of that but i do find that people get more confident as they have us to lean on throughout the process so whereas some people may come to us and say like i have no idea i don't know i don't even know my aesthetic um when they have our support and we can start to tease out some of their personality and their and create an aesthetic that's aligned with what they've told us about their brand and their music choices and all of that i think what that does is it just 
it's like giving permission for people to feel creative again when they might not necessarily come from a creative and I think that having us in their corner gives them a little bit more confident to start thinking outside of the box because I think for most clinic owners, when you're like a first time clinic owner, it's so scary, right? It's like this, it's probably the most money you've ever spent on anything, right? And the most liability you've ever had. And so people are really, really scared to do anything that isn't tried and tested. Mm. Um, And so people already who are choosing to work with us are starting to think outside of those boundaries. But then once they're engaged with us, I think that that gives people the confidence to really explore their brand and their personality, really take some bigger risks, like, you know, giraffe wallpaper we did in one place. Um, you know, like, I think that definitely having the support of, of us, of other creatives, does mm-hmm. give our clients more confidence um, once they've kind of started the process. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So then how do you, how do you help somebody who, who like you kind of dug into it a little bit, you know, but I'm curious, Meg, how do you help somebody who's like, okay, I want to do this. I, I know that's important and it isn't an afterthought. It is a priority, but I, I have absolutely like no idea what my style is. Um, like, and then like, like how do you, how do you walk somebody? Through? Of course you got the questions, the music, all of these types of things that, that help you with the, the guiding the person there. But, but I'm sure you've had a couple of cases where they're just like, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, what do you do in those situations? Uh, those are our favorite Jess, because oh. we know <laughs> Great. <laughs> that's why we ask the questions, right? It's kind of like equate it to you having a client come in that you're treating. Mm. Mm-hmm. The best clients are like, I don't know what's going on with me. And you're like, great. I'm going to ask all the right questions and I'm going to tell you what's likely going on with you. The ones who come in and are like, this is wrong. This is wrong. I know this. And then you actually spend more time trying to k- tell them like right. everything they're saying tells you otherwise. So that is why we do what we do. And it's why it's it's a professional service that we're offering when people are mm-hmm. lost. That's the problem we're trying to solve for is let us help right. you then figure out what that is. And I will say too, the, the context matters. You spoke to people who may practice out of their home and there may be people who are renting a space out of another space. And so having those details also plays into how we guide the way in which they design or or think conceive of their space so if they're welcoming people into their home sometimes we have to skew a bit more professional because the while it's really comforting to like open up your home if you are really casual with that it can feel like it's not a professional setting and then vice versa if you're in a super clinical environment a medical building something that you're renting a space, you have to over-index then on bringing in the personality, the comfort, the warmth, um, because the space necessitates it to create that vibe. So right. the context does matter, but ultimately we we are in business because many people don't know what their what their vibe mm-hmm. should be, and that's why we we try to get to the bottom of. That. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense, and and then it. it it leads me to ask a very interesting question, which we we kind of started the conversation with that. But when we were uh, preparing, Nina and I were having this little conversation about, uh, and I, I get this wrong, Nina, so correct me, it's multi-hyphenated, polyhyphenated, several hyphens within the things that a person <laughs> does, right? So, so you know, you know, you said something interesting, Meg. It's, it's your favorite type of client because that's where you can actually help them. Now, when I was studying my, my form of uh, medicine, it took me a really long time of a lot of years of school to figure out how to ask the right questions that I could take somebody who's like, I don't know, I'm lost and I'm sick and I'm tired and I just need help to somewhere where they actually feel like they understand and have a plan in order to get better. Like that, that takes a lot. It's seeming to me like interior design is, is in many ways equal in that scope, right? Like these are huge decisions that can take months, if not a year, maybe more, I don't know, to, to unfold. So, you know, I'm curious, 
how did you go about the process of hyphenating, you know, going from physiotherapist to physiotherapist, interior designer? Did you like go back to school for another five, six years or, you know, read a bunch of blogs or help me understand this process? I think it was more like the school of hard knocks. Like <laughs> I, and so the, the term is multi-hyphenate. Um, but it's this idea that like, we're not all just one thing and we're not a person who only has one passion or one skill or, you know, but I think that a lot of the ways that we're raised in like Western society is to kind of focus that way, focus your life on this one skill and that's going to be your career. And that's going to be like your guiding light throughout your life. And so really, I think. Um, the this idea of being a multi-hyphenate like that's where this all came from was just for me like I re was really looking for a creative outlet um but the beauty of what we do is our experience and expertise as clinicians is really our superpower like yes we're really talented designers um but our the huge asset that we bring to our clients is that we're also practicing clinicians so we understand the day-to-day grind we understand the equipment we understand the overhead we understand like all of those components of running a practice that are less glamorous we completely understand those and mm -hmm. so it's really the the marriage of these two sides of ourselves as clinicians but also as people who have a passion for design um it's the combination that has really led to this successful um business that we're we're trying to change the messaging around the value of design. Um, and I think that's within everybody, right? Like, you know, clearly for you, you're not only a, a, a massage therapist, right? There's this whole other side of you that has this massive passion for teaching and, you know, holding space for amazing conversations. And um, I really just think if more of us start like allowing ourselves to explore all of those you know people could be doing some really really cool stuff yeah yeah i i appreciate that and, and agree entirely uh, one of these things that I, I talk a lot about is is off the table skills um and i don't i don't know the physiotherapy statistics well but i i do know the statistics for a lot of different wellness practices and the the career span is relatively short burnout is incredibly high be it from physical injury or emotional exhaustion so one of the things that I, I oftentimes when I'm, I'm working with with coaching clients who are also practitioners is find something else you enjoy that's that's still within the vicinity, maybe of wellness, but that doesn't require you to be working on the table so often. Right. So this idea of, you know, you, you felt like you needed a creative outlet and it just so happened to be that you really enjoyed interior design. It makes sense to merge those two, right? And and Meg, was it was it sort of a similar journey for yourself as you you transitioned into combining, you know, the the, the interior design, the creative aspect with the clinical stuff, or how did that work for you? Yeah, very similar to Nina. I mean, her and I for years before Articulate was born, we were we both been in many design projects personally. Like I've renovated mm -hmm. a few homes, as has Nina. We've had a lot of practice in the the technical components and we would often just lament privately about about why this is not a thing in in our given field right why mm -hmm. design does it matter more and as we gain more of that practical experience outside of our field um we we realized that we had something to offer and and as nina said it wasn't until our it was on our very first project that we thought the value we were bringing to the table was our expertise in doing design and a build out and it was way more our expertise as clinicians like yes hmm. we we did a great job designing that space but it was designing it through the lens of what our our job was right of being clinicians and and knowing the specifics of that and so when that happened when that clicked it was like there was no looking back like this you know how you can you can't connect the dots forward but you can connect them back it mm -hmm. was like oh my gosh this is exactly what we need to be doing and we dabbled in one residential project project 
And we love personally residential design, but it's not our superpower. Like there are thousands of designers out there people can hire who can design a home. I don't think there are other designers out there that can design a clinic with the same level of of knowledge that we have being clinicians. And so we realized like this is what we are are meant to do and we have stuck to this lane and it's been incredibly fulfilling. Hmm. So it 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 feels like it all was aligned and meant to happen, but again, it, it it was just all these pieces over decades that slowly came together, and then bam, it hit, and and it just feels incredibly in alignment for both of us. That must have been a super exciting moment, right? That that moment when when the the bam it hit, which I'm sure it wasn't like you woke up one morning and then it was actually like bam, everything is perfect, right? Um, but as as I hear you both describe the story and how you go about the process, it, it really occurs to me that that you, you're you're following the the advice that business owners give, which it's like find find something you enjoy doing. They just enjoy. See if there's a market for it, which obviously there is, and then solve the problem that you most want to have solved, right? And I think when when those types of things align, I think those are the, the BAM moments. Right? Now, I'd like to kind of to, to shift into a slightly different direction. And this is, this is just a fun hypothetical because I have personally done this many times. Maybe both of you have. Um, but I, I, call it, I call it the dream. I, I, so many wellness practitioners have the dream, which is the wellness center. You know, something like what Kendall has set up in, in, uh, in Vancouver there. So if you could have your version of the dream, which is like, design your own perfect wellness center based on what you want, what does that look like for you? I mean, you probably go about the same process, but just, just I'm really curious to get to know what you would do, Nina. Like if you, money's no object, space is no object. This is, you got the, the magic wand of wishes fulfilled. What is it? Well, I think um, there's a couple of things like the, the nice thing about being clinicians ourselves is we know what, really is necessary and what really isn't necessary right so i don't think we in an ideal wellness space i don't think there would be like a reception desk there would be some really cool welcoming space it would have interactive aspects um i i don't exactly know what it would be but it would offer different ways for people to interact with the space they would scan a QR code to check in, help themselves to a beverage or a snack. There might be different forms of seating or standing for them to wait and other ways for them to be engaged rather than like a te- like 24-hour news or something like that. Um, so that would be one thing. I think the flow through the space would really be technology-driven. Um, and so to make this the the experience more seamless and things like payments and bookings and all of those things would really be tech centered rather than um you know standing there and like having someone plug things in and 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 print things out and things like that um i think that my ideal space would really engage all of the senses so you know healthcare, you know, respecting like healthcare, scent might be something, light, natural lighting, there might be an outdoor portion of my ideal wellness Mm. space, right? That's just uncovered. Like, I can't tell you how many days I've like looked out onto like a university soccer field and been like, I wish I was treating in the center of that field today. Like, it's so beautiful out. So I think like, you know, the I think that part of why Meg and I do what we do and why we're successful at it is because we think like bigger. So it would be a wacky space that <laughs> I would come up with. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. And how about you, Meg? What what's your uh your like you got the magic wand to build the, the perfect space. What is what is that like? I think that Nina touched on a lot of the similar components, but what I would say overarching everything is that 
we're able to usually push our clients on like one or two elements to think outside the box. Like let's try to reconceptualize your reception or let's try to reconceptualize um, your treatment spaces. I think what I would love the budget and opportunity to do is really design like what Nina and I see as a clinic of the future. And I think Nina touched on those components of how do we engage people through all senses um, and immerse them in a health experience. And then I'd love for it to provide data because we know unequivocally the environment matters. There just is not enough like good quality data out there that we would love to present of like, what the return on investment of designing a space that really encapsulates what it means to be well and healthy Mm. um, really does both from like an investment in the client, an investment in the business, an investment in our healthcare system, all of it and how that trickles down because we know it, we know it in our bones and in ourselves. Mm And we know it from the clients we work with and the success that they have. It's just not always the easiest thing to measure. And so in, you know, being able to create a space like that and really have these, like this rich data, I think would be a dream. Hmm. You know, when, when I was, um, if I could turn back the clock and, and, find myself on a metaphorical fork or I guess trident in the road while choosing what I wanted to to do, you know, like my, my first hyphen. Uh, it would actually, I was a tradesman before that, but my first professional hyphen, I chose to go into to uh, complementary alternative medicine, right? But the other fork was architecture. Like that is such a massive passion of mine. Uh, even to this day, if I'm watching something on YouTube, it's either woodworking or architecture. Like I just, I absolutely love it. And what what actually brought me into architecture was, funnily enough, my interest in psychology. That brought me there because I've always found it so fascinating. One of the first like moments of, I guess, embodied awareness I had was moving into a space and being like, I never want to leave this space. And having that moment like, well, why? Why do I never want to leave this space? And realizing it was because of the the architecture and the design, right? So I got really interested in the psychology of architecture. So Meg, as you're describing that, it seems like so strange that that there isn't that data. Because we know, we know like that is an actual field, architecture psychology, like designing a mm-hmm. place for mental health and for expansive feelings. And we all know that malls are designed very specifically to mess with the psychology of the the customers, right? It's so strange that nobody spent time thinking. I mean, there is, there is studies. I mean, there's, okay. there's a lot of studies in a hospital environment. For example, right. if you were to um, receive chemotherapy in a room that has natural light versus no natural light, those patients have significantly better outcomes. Mm. There are studies. I think though, when we speak more specifically about allied health or we, or we think of clinic spaces, there isn't. And I think looking at it 360. So there, there are some studies on sort of the, the client experience, let's put it that way, but not on what it does for the business owner, for the clinic owner, mm-hmm. for the, the staff retention, those elements I would love to explore more because we know anecdotally um, from our projects that it it does pay off, but it would be great mm-hmm. to have that data. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 I really love the idea of the clinic of the future. Um, you know, a few <laughs> things that they mentioned, like this idea of having natural space within it, uh, our house, I once I once counted between the front door and the, the treatment room, there are 42 plants. Like it's, it's basically wow. an indoor jungle. <laughs> Watering? Oh, what a nightmare. But uh, so oh. I, I hear you, Nina, like having that that sort of uh, natural space is, is really good. But I also really appreciated this idea of kind of te- tech driven. I, I think that's that's amazing. Right. And um, more and more people are becoming comfortable with that. And it's making life so much easier. And I personally believe that that for the most part, the the storefront is the website for a lot of people, not everybody, right? Depending on location, but certainly for us, our storefront is our website. And for many other practitioners I know, 
So when it comes to like that first step of technology, I think website is kind of low hanging fruit on the things within tech that we could do to enhance the clinic space. But I was wondering, you know, if you could maybe speak to that a little bit, like, like, is that something you focus on as well? Designing that at storefront as it were? Well, we definitely love collaborating um, with other professionals. Like when you're deciding to start your own practice, it is the ideal time to really dive deeply into your brand, looking at your how you're going to market that brand. And so we do collaborate with other professionals to uh, create a beautiful brand identity that can be um, translated from digital to a brick and mortar space. Mm. Um, so we love working with other professionals. We do um, offer some small... Uh, we do offer support and mini add-on packages with logos and things like that for some of our clients. Um, and then we have an amazing Rolodex of professionals that we love to collaborate with who offer really comprehensive uh, brand strategy and development. So that's mm -hmm. one aspect of it. We also, um, I mean, I'll just shout out to a lot of partners that we love to work with, Jane being one of them. Um, Jane uh, is a software company for those who don't know, and it's it offers like amazing EMR services. Um, you can it offers clinician charting, but also booking, and it's just very comprehensive. So really, people can book online, and they know exactly what to expect when they enter your space. They can check in through it, um, and they can get reminders and all of those things. So Jane is wonderful. Um, Ginger Desk is also an amazing company. So we love working. Um, we love the idea of all of your office management um, can be done offsite and virtually. Um, and this is amazing for solo practitioners to multidisciplinary large clinics. But I think that there's a lot of innovation there to make being a successful business a lot easier. Um, and what all of this does is it just opens up your physical space for the delivery of your services, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it really allows you to have more square footage, for, square footage, excuse me, for treatments, but also for these other experiences, right? So offering um, a reception space that stimulates all senses, that's mm -hmm. possible when your office management is happening offsite and you don't have a giant reception desk necessarily, but instead you have a really personable, talented person um, greeting and meeting all of your clients. So mm -hmm. I, I think that that's my answer. <laughs> no, <laughs> I like it. I like it. I appreciate that. And, and as you were describing, one of the things that are, I, I find most interesting about this, the, your discussion is, the lack of what many would view as a fundamental aspect of a brick and mortar, which is you have the reception. You know, I, I went for, for an appointment uh, earlier this week, and it's it's a really cool space in Calgary. Never been there before. It's called Coalition for anybody in Calgary who wants a, a, a great Cairo. Awesome place. And I go in there, and there were, there was so many good things to say. They did not have a receptionist. There was a reception desk, but, you know, it was kind of like tucked out of the way, and you could clearly tell that it was it was just like, Something that they didn't have any other space. It looked good, though. No, no, no um, nothing bad to say about it. But the one thing I noticed about it was I was a little confused. I didn't know the steps I needed to take in order to, to do. Like, I, I left and I'm like, I don't know who to pay. I don't know how to pay, right? So it, it strikes me that, that that process of sort of fundamentally shifting these, these preconceived notions we have of how a clinic needs to be done, I think would make for a super cool space, but would also require you know, almost like dotted lines on the floor. Like here are the steps that you take, right? And mm -hmm. with uh, with that, you know, like, so uh, Nina, you mentioned no reception, classical thing. I'm wondering, Mike, is there something similar that, that you view as, is like, this is standard, everybody does it. It's like, if you're going to do a clinic, nobody even thinks about it because every clinic has this thing. But maybe you think, maybe that's a bit of a relic or something that we could fundamentally reimagine. Is there something like that for you, Meg? Most simply is the feature one. Mm -hmm. I think when people don't know what to do, and Nina alluded to this earlier, it's like I will paint my whole space white and I'm going to do a turquoise wall in the reception with my logo on it or sub in whatever color. Mm -hmm. And 
I think if you went into 90 some odd percentage of clinics, that's, and then there's a chairs all against the wall. Um, that is what you walk into. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we like this, we love this phrase of moments of delight. Like, how do you surprise people in ways that are delightful? Like, when to mm-hmm. walk in and there's a couch and a couple chairs facing it, like a little living room. And now you can mm-hmm. connect whether you speak to people or you maybe just share a glance, but that we're now facing each other instead of all lined up against a wall. And right. what if instead of having your logo on this like painted feature wall, instead it was um, like a really nice uh, quote or a piece of art by a local artist or your brand brand colors, but done in like a custom piece of artwork or, you know, the list goes on, but the idea being like, oh, Look at me, I've walked into a different space because you can have a nice space, but it's just what everybody else is doing. And how mm-hmm. do you create something when people leave and say, wow, that was different. And, and you just kind of spoke to that, like perhaps the wayfinding and the instruction wasn't great at the place that you went to, but you're also talking about it now a week later. It's also mm-hmm. memorable to you to be like, that was different. It has you thinking. and. We all know that that's like marketing 101, right? Of, of how do you make your space stand out amongst the rest? And so, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you're not ready to, to hire designers to help you with that, we encourage people always to just think a little bit bigger, a little bit differently, and, and not always do what is just done down the street and forevermore. Yeah. First principles thinking, it sounds like all those those assumptions of this is how it's done because it's always been done this way. Uh, maybe maybe take a step back and question those. Mm-hmm. No, no. Um, as as we uh, have been chatting and again, you know, you and I kind of dipped in this a little bit before we we really jumped into our our conversation here. But um, what's what's next? You know, like uh, you're you're both still practicing, if I'm correct. And obviously, it sounds like articulate is. Is keeping you fairly busy, but what's what's that? What's happening now? What, what's uh, what's what's the dream for the next step? Uh, I feel like there's mul- you know we're we're multi hyphenates with multiple dreams. I think um, we we really really want to create a mentality. You were saying this too, Jess, which was like music to our ears, but you look at design as as a priority in a wellness space. Um, We want to continue just like pushing the agenda of that messaging. We really want um, clinicians to realize that valuing the design of their space is going to have tangible benefits. So we want to really continue to push that messaging until, you know, I think the wellness industry in general is looking at design as a really valuable tool. Um, aside from that, we're, we love putting our heads together with other individuals who are just making this industry better. So we have some cool collaborations that are going to come um, down the pipeline. So you can look out for those um, through our socials. Um, and those will just... I think what they'll do is just highlight all of these different offerings that are available to owners uh, to really, really optimize the delivery of their specific services. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you have anything to to add to that that future vision of the next steps, Meg? No, again, like I think to expand on Nina's more from you know three thousand feet would be it's. It's really like this overarching goal of changing the narrative of what's possible. And we truly do this for the clinicians. Yes, Mm. there is massive trickle-down benefit to your clients walking in the door. But because we are a clinician-led design firm, we care the most about making the experience for the clinicians a much better one. You're the ones there day in and day out. You're the ones with the emotional toll of, of treating 
you know, human beings who are ultimately suffering, how can your space really foster well-being for you? And I think mm -hmm. when, as a profession, we start to see ourselves as worthy of a lot more than what we have, um, the design folds into that as well. And, and I do think that's been a big problem of why it hasn't been a priority is because we traditionally undervalue our ourselves and our services and we would really like that not to be the narrative. No, I, I, I appreciate that. I mean, that's, that's my, my target demographic in the, in the business terms is, is the exact same. I'm, I work with practitioners. I work with clinicians. That's, that's the people I want to help most. And again, the trickle down effect there, it, it is certainly a thing, but I, I appreciate that. It's so important to understand that as practitioners, there are so many things that that we can neglect that have long-term effects. And and it's these these little tiny incremental things like working in an environment every single day that works for you 80% of the way there, you know, like that that sucks. That sucks in the long term. And mm -hmm. one of the questions that I, I ask virtually everybody, because you know, the name of the podcast, Aiming Practice, is I'm, I'm pretty pretty consumed by this idea of practice as practitioners, as individuals. So I'm always curious to ask that question. And I'll ask both of you the same thing. I'll start with Union is, what are, what are you practicing for yourself as a wellness practitioner and as a business owner that ensures you're you're able to keep doing it, that you maintain your, your wellness? So what's, what's your practice like? I, I think one big thing that we've kind of worked on, you know, together is just really creating boundaries. And these boundaries might um, be with our clients. Um, they also might be boundaries within ourselves. So just really making sure that we are not overworking ourselves. We're really prioritizing the parts of the work that are enriching right? So, you know, I was looking for a creative outlet. But when you start to run a business, there's a lot of other things involved, right? Like accounting <laughs> and all of these things. And, and, you know, you have to have some of those things. So it's been a really, um, it's been a really important practice for us to outsource things that are not enriching to us, create boundaries so that we have really successful projects with our clients for everybody's mm -hmm. expectations are being met. Um, I would think, I would say those are the biggest things is creating healthy boundaries um, and also learning to say no to specific parts of the work and get those done in other ways, right? Being resourceful and finding um, the professionals who can get those aspects of the work done for you on your team. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And I, I, the only thing, I would, if I may add one little thing, because one thing I found when I give the same advice, because I completely agree, it's like if you find the things that are soul sucking, and it's like you know what, there's somebody out there in this world that actually enjoys doing that, and you can hire them, and you'll actually yeah. make more money in the end because that five minutes that you hate doing zaps your energy for the next two hours. So that five minutes actually costs you two hours, right? So, so it's. But the thing I'd add is trust. Trust is a big part of that too. It's when you do let go, it's like, hey, let, let go and trust that somebody else can do it probably better than you can. No? So I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Nina. And Meg, I'm curious, so what do you do when it comes to the things in your own life that you, you practice to, to take care of yourself, to, to ensure that you're able to do all the things that you do? do? We'll say that actually the birth of Articulate has been, while it brought more to the table, it brought more enrichment as well. And I think because of it being such a different beast than being mm. a clinician, uh, they really balance well. And so when I get stuck in the weeds with design work, I look forward then to being in clinic with clients and vice versa. And so having this has, while it's as I said, brought more work, it feels better balanced. And I think because mm -hmm. I'm working different parts of my brain, I'm being creative. And I honestly preach to anyone who will listen to me that I actually think we're all designed to have multiple jobs. And that mm -hmm. one helps fuel for the other. 
and this ability not to just be burnt out doing one thing 40 hours a week. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say that. And then I'm religious about running with my best friend twice a week. We get, we meet, Mm -hmm. we live about 20 minutes from one another. We meet halfway between at 5am. It is like, you know, early we're cranky and, and we run the same route. And the first half, we complain, we get everything out that's like bothering us. And then the second half, we like solve all of life's problems. And the, the trifecta of like the talking, the running, like the, the movement with our body, um, the sweating, it's like, I feel like it should be a prescription, whether it's running or walk, whatever it is, but like connecting with another human on a regular basis and having someone yeah. you can like, you know, meant to that is for me number one in my week so yeah i love it i love it do do hard things i think that that there's a book called do hard things it's kind of one of my favorites it's so good and i i also appreciate that you know the the things you do to to sort of maintain balance and maintain your own wellness it's doing more which seems counterintuitive but i i I have to agree with you that doing things we're built to do you know like idle hands are the devil's playground it's a saying for a reason finding that thing that you can occupy your energy and your time with that that pumps you up and gives you energy that's beautiful thank you thank you and you know Mm -hmm. um i'm mindful of the time so what i'd like to do is just wrap a lovely little bow on this conversation and i really have enjoyed this chit chat i i admire what you're both doing i really really love the work that you're doing and i'm grateful for the time we had to uh to chat today so thank you thank Thank you you. it was a wonderful chat my pleasure all right well talk to you soon bye-bye bye